All right. I've been encouraging uh, you guys, if you have questions as we move through the series, to write them down or email them to me. I'm considering having a form in the back after church next Sunday. Um, there will be more questions after today because I'm going to be kind of laying out a kind of here's where, our, here's where I teach from in terms of what we think about the Word and our church's doctrinal statement. I'm not going to really deal with um, some of the objections or dif- different viewpoints about that, so they will rise up as we go through this. Um, it is two parts this week, so um, it's going to end abruptly this morning, and it just continues next week, so you have to come back. Um, I, did, uh, I did find one, one question in the basket in the back. I think it was from last week, so um, I, will, I will address that. Um, and the question had to do with, we were talking about this grand story of Scripture, and that in between the Old Testament and New Testament, there's this big block of time of 400 years that we often call the silent time when it seems like God's not speaking. And the question was, what's the purpose of 400 years is a long time, a long time. So what's, what was that all about? Why was this big, huge gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and why was it so very long? And um, as I will say before every answer, um, of course, we can't say it for sure, <laughs> so I'm not really sure. But I do have a couple thoughts about that. Um, first of all, um, it, although it was a silent time in terms of we don't have scripture from that time, it wasn't a quiet time. Um, there is a huge amount... Um, in history that happens over the course of those 400 years. Um, we have the, 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 um, the Persian rule that they were underneath when they went back to Jerusalem after the exile, and then it moves into the, the Greek, nation, uh, Greek uh, whatever you call it, empire takes over during that time, and which has enormous influence on us today. Um, the whole Greek culture and what that brought had huge impact on the New Testament. As a matter of fact, it's during that time that the... Um, the Bible, the Old Testament, gets put into the Greek language, the Septuagint, which made it broadly available for people that had no access to it before. So when we get to the New Testament, um, the Old Testament was much more widely read than it ever would have been simply because of the Greek influence and the bringing of the Septuagint, which happened during that time. In addition to that, then we go from the Greeks. There is a, there's a huge revolt that happens called the Maccabean Revolt, and that was like a I think I wrote it down here, 167 B.C., when the actual the nation of Israel actually rules itself for a period of time because um, there's this passion about the, the bringing in of this kingdom. Um, it disintegrates under petty leadership, which is what happens in that, and that um, makes them weak, so then the Roman Empire moves in, and we've got the whole movement of the Roman Empire. So a huge amount happens during those 400 years. As a matter of fact, it's... Um, and there's a couple of reasons I think why God waited. I mean, it says in Scripture that at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And it says in the fullness of time, he came. There's purposes between what God does. And so he didn't just haphazardly show up um, at the, at when he did, but there was a reason for it. And uh, one possible reason is prior to the Romans, um, it was uh, the idea of moving a truth out into the whole world had been very, very difficult. When the Roman Empire took over, it created this big one world with roads and commerce and a huge connecting that's similar to what we have today with um, the Internet and just to be able to put words out so fast. In that time, there was just a huge movement from nation to nation because of the Roman Empire. And the gospel had immediate access. It just exploded, and that was largely, obviously, the work of God. But on a very practical level, 
being able to travel and to get information and being able to move it from place to place, um, that was unheard of before that time. And so if it had happened 400 years earlier, the gospel could, would not have traveled in the same way. In addition to that, um, when the exile happened, only a small portion went back to Jerusalem. Most of them were, uh, were spread out over the nation. By the time Jesus comes along, there's probably about 4 million um, Israelites or Jewish people at the time. Only about a fourth of those were actually in the nation of Israel at the time in Palestine. The rest of them were scattered all over um, the Roman Empire. And during that time, because they were scattered and there was no temple, that was in the whole synagogue system built up during that time. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and that whole system, which is actually, um, although with all its problems, created an access point in a way that Jesus worked and the way the gospel spread, even when Paul went out later on. So those things were huge, and they had a huge impact on the coming of the gospel and the spread of the gospel outside from that time. One last thing I would just mention, um, and uh, doesn't tell us this for sure, but you know, we talked, when we were going through Matthew, we we're talking about the structure of Matthew. Matthew's a connecting book between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And actually, Matthew's structured, if we didn't get into this too much, we will when we come back to it. It's actually structured according to the first five books of Moses. Um, and so it's this huge connecting point between the old and the new. And so how long were the people in exile in Egypt? It was 400 years from when, they, when these promises were given that they were underneath the bondage of Egypt, waiting for this redeemer who, this deliverer, Moses, comes and delivers them out of the land. So what happens in this in-between time? We have 400 years of darkness um, waiting for the coming deliverer, and here Jesus comes along as really a, uh, the, the next Moses who comes to deliver his people. So there's reason for what God does. Um, although during those 400 years, I'm sure they had no idea what was going on, which actually just built a greater longing for something to happen. So that would be my best answer to that question on that. Um, today, I want to just give an overview of where we're going this morning. This, like I said, it's a two-part message. Um, this morning, I'm just going to basically share the, the Vineyard's doctrinal position on, on how we view this book here, um, and what we primarily what we mean when we say that this is God's inspired word. What do we mean by that? Um, I'm not going to address some of the other ways that's understood, although we will get to that probably next week um, and down the road. Next week, I'm going to focus primarily on this word called inerrancy, the Bible without errors. What do we, what do we mean when we say that? Um, why do we say it? Why does it matter to that? Um, does it make a difference? We'll also talk about the authority of Scripture and where that comes from. And then lastly, where, where do we get this from? I mean, we've got 66 books put together. How, who, who decided how that came together? Um, do we really know we've got what we hear, which is reliable and which is actually God's Word? So we'll try to address some of those things um, next week. And then several weeks later, we'll do this whole thing on hermeneutics. With this. How do we interpret the Bible? How do we understand it? So, Because that ultimately is where it comes down to. And can we say that there's a right way to do it or a wrong way to do it? All those issues that come up. The variety of ways we look at and read the Bible today, there's a lot of different thoughts out there. And so we'll address that several weeks down the road. Um, so that's all coming. Um, this morning, I just want to say it's impossible to examine every aspect of this. It's a huge thing. Um, but hopefully some of the questions will get answered as we move through it. And um, hopefully you'll have some questions, and you can pose those, and I um, would welcome them. A um, couple of comments before I go into this. First, um, the disagreements about understanding what does it mean when we say the Bible is inspired, what do we mean when we say this is God's word, it used to be that the disagreements f- 
about this happened primarily outside the church. The evangelical church is pretty unified in their understanding of it. And the, uh, the alternate ideas about that were generally seen either in, in these, the mainline churches that had, had shifted significantly and were not considered really part of the evangelical church system, um, or just in the scholarly world. It was an, an argument that took place out there. And the church huddled real tight together to, to hold to it and defend it. That's not the case today. Um, this, the, the questions about it and the things that we're wrestling with and our thoughts about it um, are, are, are questions and dialogue that happens within the evangelical church today. And it happens within this church here today, too. So I, I can just tell you, I was struggling with this today, primarily because um, I'm presenting where our church is at, views that I, I believe strongly about and um, have become more more firm as we've gone along. But people I love and care about have different views on this and views within our own church. So we have to walk through that understanding that this is um, a discussion um, that happens among brothers and sisters in Christ together, people who all love the Lord, love his word, and value it. Um, and though, though I think it matters greatly as a church, um, and that I, teach, I do teach from a very definitive position on this, um, the issues surrounding it ought always be welcomed for dialogue. We should be a place where we can address anything and do it freely and openly with one another as we together are learners, are we not? Um, and to, to think that any of us have just got it and all of us is set in this box, um, it doesn't work that way. We need to walk together as we move forward and wrestle with this together as we all seek and learn in community with one another. And second of all, I just want to say that Paul frequently warns people to be careful about wrangling over words and genealogies and arguments. And um, there's a reason for that. It's because it gets us off track and it brings disunity and dissension. Instead, he says this. It's in 1 Timothy 1.5. He says, the goal of our instruction is what? Is love. He says, the goal of our instruction is love and all that that encompasses. And love which flows from, he says, three things. One is a pure heart. Um, that, that comes when we have a common understanding that we all desperately need a Savior. We are in desperate need of God to step in and rescue us. And um, when, you, when you approach and have a conversation with another person and you both know desperately you need Jesus, it's much easier to have a conversation even when you disagree um, because you both come from the same place. I desperately need to hear from the Lord here. And we can, uh, so he says it, if the goal of our instruction is love, which flows from a pure heart. The second thing is a good conscience. That means right relationship. I am in right relationship with other people. And um, we have all probably been in places where there's disagreements in the church and the relationships are not right and they're not put right. And the, and the, the issues just um, escalate into more and more trouble and the things that Paul says to avoid. So having right relationships. And thirdly, it flows out of a sincere faith. Sincere faith means that we have right motives. We have right motives. Um, our instruction comes from a right motive. What's the motive to what we saw last week? What's the primary thing that the word is about? The glory of God and who he is. And that's what we want to see, that we want to, we want to be gripped by him and changed by him. That's our motive. My motive is not to, I got to change this person and, and get them to see what's right, as much as we want to see Jesus. 
and we're going to trust him to do that. And the motivation of our heart is out of love. And so it's important as we walk through things and we have disagreements, particularly as they rise up within our church, that the goal of our instruction is always love. Um, and that changes everything. So there's basically three ways of viewing the scriptures when we talk about how we understand this book. Um, and as a matter of fact, every, every new idea that comes along almost always fit into one of these three categories in some sense. We can believe that the Bible is the Word of God. We can believe that the Bible contains the Word of God. In other words, we've got this thing called the Bible, and within it is a bunch of people, things that people have written that are, contain their own perspectives and errors and their own things. But mixing with that, we have actual things that God has said. And then thirdly, the Bible becomes the Word of God. That would be, it's a human book written by people, and that's what it is and their perspectives, but as we read it and experience it, God breathes life into it to the Spirit and makes it become the Word of God for us. Three different perspectives. Here at the Vineyard, the statement of faith um, makes, lands it pretty solidly in the fact that we look at the Bible is the Word of God. So here's what our statement of faith says. If you go on our website, it's right there. Um, if depends on where you grew up in a church. You've probably heard these exact words many, many times. We believe that the 66 books of the Bible are the verbally inspired word of God, and therefore without error in the original writings, they constitute the only infallible authority for all matters of faith and practice. So key words there are what? You've got verbal, talking about words, um, inspired, what does that mean? That's what we're going to look at this morning primarily. It says that they're without error, we'll look at that next week. Infallible, the strong word, has to do with trustworthiness, reliability. And then authority, um, where does authority for the word actually come from? In other words, uh, here we believe that this book in its entirety is the revelation of God made by God himself to us. Strong statement. Um, it takes a, a, a pretty solid place in terms of saying this actually what we have here is actually God's revelation given to us by himself. He gave it to us. Of course, we know him other ways as well, right? Um, we know God through the created order. Romans chapter 1 and some other places tell us that, that we, we look out and we can see that God displays himself through the ways he's created the world and how it operates. Um, and so we know him that way. It's, it says that anybody who looks out can know something of him through that. Second of all, um, he reveals himself um, supremely through the revelation of his son, Hebrews chapter 1. Um, and so uh, that shows that way. And then thirdly, we remember that our God is a speaking God um, who by his spirit has disclosed himself to us in human words. So we're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If it gets warm in here, feel free to open that door up. This We're one of those in-between times where it's like freezing at night, hot in the day. So um, if you guys want to open the doors, feel free to do so. I was afraid to turn the air conditioner on, so it's not. 2 Timothy chapter 3, let me read verses 14 through 17, a couple comments, and then we're going to jump into verse 15. 2 Timothy 3, as for you, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, continuing what you have learned and what you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Just a couple of comments about 
Um, we have verse 15, which is the, the verse we're going to look at this morning, but it's encased in uh, some other things here. I just want to make a comment about that. Interesting that um, Paul tells Timothy to pay attention to, to continue in the things that he's learning. He talks about doctrine and teaching. And the implication, where he got it from, it says from the sacred writings, um, which is, we'll see what that he's referring to in a few minutes. Um, what's interesting about that is Timothy didn't just get some general ideas, but there was, there's, from the word come specific things to believe and know and trust, and we call it doctrine. Um, and sometimes the idea is, well, doctrine's separate from the word. Doctrine comes out of the word. But Paul makes a very specific case here saying, you've received doctrine. You've received an understanding of what this word teaches. You are to hang on to it, and you are to continue it. That God actually, through his word here, teaches us specific things and gives us things to learn and to understand and to know and to continue in. Um, Titus, in the book of Titus, he's told to teach what accords with sound doctrine. And he's also told to... um, Hold to the word in order so that he can give instruction and exhortation. That there are specific things he's getting that frame his belief system, and he's to pass those things along. Later on, Timothy, Timothy is told to be devoted to the public reading of Scripture because from that comes teaching and doctrine and exhortation. So um, I share that because from Timothy 3, we discover that this very, very old book um, that Timothy had intersected Timothy's life with specific instruction. And he discovered it from that book and was supposed to pass it along to others. It becomes, um, inspired word gives more than just general ideas, but there's the basis of doctrine. Second of all, at the very end here, I just want us to take, take notes. As a man of God can be complete, equipped for every good work. Um, the scriptures for Timothy um, were sufficient for all of life. Um, they brought something to him that, completed him and made him ready to do the works that God had prepared for him. It brought all that he needed for godly living and service. So there's a specificity of what he got that actually showed up in the moments of his day, um, and that's this book equipped him for that. Um, so let's look at the heart of the passage. Um, all scripture is inspired by God. Um, some of your passages say breathed out. So a couple things. So number one, the very first word is what? All. all. So all. Um, it refers to the scope of what we have. When Paul talks about this, you may have heard the term plenary. We never use it outside of church, so um, it just means all or comprehensive. Um, whatever he's talking about here, he's looking at a comprehensive look at it, looking at it. Speaks to what part of the Bible is actually God's word. And 2 Timothy says what? All of it is. Um, whatever all is referring to, whatever that all is, it's all, okay? Um, we'd love to discount um, those parts, wouldn't we? Um, we have a little thing on the board here this morning. You can write your verse up here. It's about what part, what verse in the Bible has held authority in your life, like spoke to you and said, this is something to pay attention to. The scary thing about writing the verse up there is then you've got to kind of consider, so have I listened to this, right? Um, and so in terms of um, Timothy says it's all of it, but we'd like to discount certain parts, Right? Um, I don't really care for that part. Um, I don't want to do that part. Um, I don't understand this, so I want to discount it and not listen to what might be said about it. Um, there's, there's parts that create confusion and begin to make us wrestle with, what do I understand about this now that I've heard this? Um, and we'd like to remove those things, but the, um, Timothy doesn't, Paul doesn't allow us to do that. He says all of it is. Um, we're told that all of it. 
In contrast to the idea that the Bible merely contains the Word of God, um, Paul is going to lay out that the whole thing is the Word of God, all of it. Is, is, but however he describes it, it applies to the whole thing. Um, and that gets clarified as we go to the second word. He says, all Scripture. Um, exactly what is the Scripture Paul is referring to here, and, and what is being referred to here, particularly in 2 Timothy? So Scripture is the qualifying word, right, for all. All what? Everything that can be called Scripture, he's saying, is going to be God-breathed out. We'll look at that in a moment. The word Scripture is often used interchangeably in the, with sacred writings or holy writing. Holy writing means writing marked by the holiness of God. Um, they've, they've taken it says it's, it's not heralded in the purple crayon, okay? This is something different. Um, this is marked in a different way. So what does it include? That's the question. Um, so for Timothy, what it included was... The Old Testament scriptures, all. That's a good answer. Um, for him at that time, he had the New Testament scriptures primarily. There's some other things that were getting written, but um, the Old Testament in its entirety. Um, what we have here in the Old Testament was well established at this time. Um, the, uh, the oversight of the Old Testament and the passing along was, um, they, were, um, they were very, very careful about handling the word and passing along. So when Timothy says he learned from the sacred writings, it's basically what we have here in the Old Testament. They focused on the first five books, the Law of Moses primarily, but they had the whole thing. And so he would have gotten um, aspects of that whole thing. So when, when Paul says all for him, he's thinking the Old Testament primarily. Um, and that, that would have been on his mind. Interesting that um, Jesus himself accepted the Old Testament as Scripture. In Luke 24, remember we looked at this the other week, that Jesus says he, he opened up to them himself in all the Scriptures, beginning with the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms. Later on in the verse, he says he opened himself up to all of the Scriptures and how he was in it to the disciples in the upper room. That would have been, they would have, they would have thought of the whole Testament. So when Jesus showed himself to the disciples in all the scriptures. They didn't just get it from the Psalms. They were getting stuff from him from you know, Ezra and from Malachi and all these different places. They were seeing how Jesus fit in. Remember we went to that little thing last week and we just, here's where Jesus shows up in every book um, and that was just a sampling of it. So they got all that. Jesus regularly quoted the Old Testament as a final authority. Frequently, for example, in the Temptations, remember we looked at this, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy several times. Um, and he says, it is written, which was a common phrase for being, this is what God says. Um, and that's what they meant. So when he said, it's written, it wasn't just like, well, Moses had a good idea here. He, they would ascribe that to God says this. And that would have been in his mind when he said those words. And so he used it as a place of authority. In John 10, Jesus said, the scriptures cannot be broken. Again, referring to the Old Testament that they had. Second Peter 1.21, um, he equates the uh, Peter equates the prophecies of Scripture written by men, but says they came from God. Again, he would have been referring um, back to the Old Testament. They, they looked at it as coming from God himself. So Jesus and the other writers frequently refer to what the prophets wrote or speak um, as things coming from God. And they talk about Adam, and they talk about Jonah and these different people in the Old Testament. So um, all that to say, when Paul refers to all Scriptures, at least for Timothy... That, it was referring to the Old Testament, um, which like John is doing, it's a good thing to study. It's God's word. Um, and he says it's all. All that is included, the whole Testament. We can't pull parts out. So the question comes about, what about the New Testament then? 
So this, this verse is talking about that. Um, and now two things about that. Number one, it says all Scripture. Um, God's Word is eternal, right? And so um, according to that, even though Timothy had the Old Testament, um, when it says all Scripture is inspired by God, the implication is anything that can be called Scripture is inspired by God. That's the part of it. If it's inspired by God's scriptures, anything that can be called scripture is included here. Um, so even though at that point, Timothy just had the Old Testament, if we can show something else to be scripture, it's included in this as well, um, as, as far as the word would go. Um, so the New Testament, if the New Testament is shown to be scripture, then the verse applies to that as well. That's all. That's just basically what I'm just trying to say. And second of all, I would say the New Testament is clearly called Scripture. So let me consider these verses. And this is just a sampling of them to indicate that um, the understanding of the New Testament is that it should be understood as Scripture, just as the Old Testament is. First Corinthians, and I'm gonna, these are up on the screen, the, the references. I would encourage you to write them down and look for yourself. Um, we're going to talk about this at the end this morning. But we are to examine for ourselves that these things are true. You don't depend on what somebody else says. Um, examine for yourself. 1 Corinthians 14.37, Paul says, The things I'm writing to you are a command from the Lord. Pretty strong statement. Um, I might think that I have something for the, from the Lord for us. Um, I don't think I'd ever get up here and going, I'm about to say something, it is a command from the Lord. And, and, and not have it be some, a, a quote from Scripture. They actually give you my words and say these are a command from the Lord. There's not a chance in the world. But Paul makes that statement. John 16.13 Speaking specifically to the disciples, which is what I think this is primarily for, although it applies to us, but for the disciples at the time, he says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. A very specific statement, the disciples themselves would be given truth by God to speak to them through the Spirit that they would pass along, which comes from God. Second Peter 3.16, this is what Peter says, Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all of his letters. So um, Peter had a, a, at least a sampling of Paul's letters, um, and he says that they were given to him by a, a wisdom that was not his own. He says, he says that there are things that are hard to understand. I love that. So that if we don't understand Paul, we're in good company because Peter didn't get it either. Um, and he says, which the ignorant and unstable twist, just as they do the other scriptures. Very specifically, Paul or Peter actually identifies some of the letters of Paul that he had at the time and he calls them scriptures. He identified them as actually being something, not just a letter, but something that was actually equated with the Old Testament writings. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, we read it for the kids. When you received the word of God, Paul says, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. So they heard from Paul, and he preached to them, and they received it as what? Actually, the very words of God that we get recorded here for us. 1 Peter 1.25 says, The word of the Lord remains forever, that's scripture, and this word is the good news that I preached to you. Even Peter says, I came out and I preached a word to you, and guess what it was? It was the very word of God is what you got. He makes a very, very strong statement. So either these guys are crazy, um, or what we have is actually the words that God has given to us. Galatians 1.11 says, The gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, he says, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul specifically says, he talks to Galatians, what I'm giving to you, I received it by direct revelation of God. Makes a very clear statement about it. So whether we 
whether you want to accept the New Testament or not, the New Testament writers themselves declare what we have here, what we're giving to you, is actually coming as a direct revelation of God, which makes it Scripture. Not only this, but the early church, um, and we'll look at this next week, um, accepted New Testament writings as Scripture. Um, like I said, we'll look at that more next week. Um, so the contention is the New Testament calls itself Scripture. The New Testament stands as, they viewed it as such, and so if it's Scripture, then it applies to as well. All Scripture, it's part of that package. So having um, talked about what Timothy 3 is referring to, which is our whole Bible, what do we discover about it? And this is really the, the more key part of it. It says, all Scripture is what? Inspired or God-breathed? Some of your verses will say inspired. Some of them will say God-breathed. Um, and that is really the issue. It's the, what is it that makes it Scripture? Um, what is it makes it from God? Inspire is actually from the Latin, which is to breathe. Um, it would have been better rendered more, um, in a sense, expire. Not expires in dying, but expires as in putting out, like when you exhale um, out. Um, to put out. It's actually a compound word that Paul probably created because it's not seen anywhere else for the word God and the word to breathe. Um, so it's, that's what we have. It's God breathed um, would be helpful to say. Um, you could even render God's breath um, would be even almost more accurate to the, what the actual word is there. Um, it's formatted differently than what we get in Genesis because um, one of the, you know you may think well God breathed God made Adam and he breathed into him the breath of life. Um, the, the structure of the word usage and the way that sentence is done is, is actually a little different here. And in Adam he breathes into it says he breathed into him his breath. Um, here in Timothy, it says that the scriptures themselves are breathed out. God breathed um, in a very, very different, there's a different sense there. He's not breathing into the scriptures, but he's breathing out the scriptures. Um, he didn't breathe into the writers, into the writing, but rather what was written by men was actually breathed out by God as he spoke through men. It's similar to hear, what we hear in Psalm 33, 6. It says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, Remember, and God spoke the heavens into being. Um, and it says, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts were created. Um, God breathed out creation, the picture, that as he, as he, he breathed out, it, it created it. And so the same sense here, talking about all scripture is breathed out by God um, as we get it. A couple things to note here. Number one, um, God does speak in words, which is why we say it's a verbal inspiration. We're not talking about the fact that God um, sat down Paul and dictated him what he had to say, um, but he, as he breathed out his words, it's interesting, God breathes out the truth, right, his revelation. He discloses himself, and then he chooses to do it through these people, these writers, people like us, um, who had their own thoughts and their own backgrounds and their own imperfections and flaws, and it comes out on the other side, and it says it's Scripture. It's God's very revelation to us. I don't know how that happens, because if it comes through me, it gets mixed up, right? And it comes out with all different kinds of things. Um, but somehow God chose to, to unveil himself, and it goes through these writers and, and uses all who they are and still comes out on the other side with, it's saying, this is God breathed out. This is what I'm giving out to you, um, to them. And it comes out for us with words. 
We have words on a page. Um, not just ideas, but words. 1 Corinthians 2.13. We impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but words taught by the Spirit. Um, Ask Jay Winslow, if you want to convey an idea, we use words, right? Pictures are helpful and sometimes very good. Stories are good, but even those, we use words to describe them. Um, and so we conveys them to, to us in words. John 17.3, or 17.8, I can't read it, says, I have given them the words that you gave to me. Jesus, when speaking and praying, says to God, says, you gave me words, and I have turned around and given my disciples words as well um, to them. 2 Samuel 23, verse 2 says, The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His words are right on my tongue, which is one of hundreds of verses that talk about God's giving words um, and speaking them out. Oftentimes, God actually did say, write this down. Okay, I'm waiting on you. Write it down. Get it right. Um, The majority of the scriptures, we don't have that. We have men writing as though they're just writing, and yet we're told that they're actually God breathing those things out to us. Um, it's interesting that we have even have a place where uh, I think God tells John, don't write this down, right? Seal it up. Don't show anybody. Um, so we have God speaks in words, and of course it's saying here that the source of those words, the source of this breathing out is actually God himself. Um, he doesn't breathe into the words, but rather he breathes out um, his revelation of himself. First Corinthians fourteen thirty seven again. The things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord, not just a man's command, but commands that come from God Himself, breathed out by God. Interesting. The book of Revelation starts out the first verse says what? It's the revelation of who? It's not John. It says the revelation of Jesus Christ. And actually, we get this whole thing called the book of Revelation. It says right from the beginning, this is God Himself revealing himself to us, and he gives it to John. He even says, write this down, write this down, over and over again in that book. So we get this book saying, this is God speaking um, to us, I'm breathed out by God. Let me just say, uh, we've got time, let me just say something. Um, one thing that comes up is, well, how do you know it's God's inspired word? Well, because it says it's God's inspired word. And it's like, that's not fair, you know? You, you, can't, you can't say, I know this is God's word because it's, this says it's God's word. And, and the question is, that's not, it's not fair. Um, so that's actually not what we're doing. Um, let me give you that there's actually a different basis for it think because it says it. Because it says it, we're using that because I think it's true there, but it doesn't come from that. The first basis for why we do that is, one, um, Scripture itself has shown itself to be reliable. So before it says anything about itself, you examine, so this book claims to be God's word. Is it? Is it reliable? Does it stand up? Um, and there's, you know, this, most, many of us have walked through those steps of going, does it really hold up? And those are still questions we have today, aren't they? They're things that we need to talk about and work through. So we have all these prophecies, for instance, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of them, just about Jesus himself that get fulfilled. That tells me something about this book that what was written all these years before, and it comes true, this is something different than something else. Um, Archaeological evidence over and over again substantiates what we have here again and again and again. Um, It's it's actually one cohesive, unified book written by these 40 authors over these thousands of years that says something about the book. So we could go through weeks on that, talk about does the Bible actually stack up when you say, is it reliable, is it really hold up, is it, or is it just another book? Um, 
And because you eventually come to the conclusion, I think it does. It just over and over and over again shows self. Because of that, I can say, I'm going to trust what it says about self. And so that's not really a circuit thing. It's, it's coming from a different basis. The second reason is um, when I became a Christian, um, I did not ask anything about the inspiration of Scripture at six years old. Um, I heard the gospel, and I was convicted in my heart. And the Spirit touched my life, and I applied faith, and I came to Christ, and I was changed. Um, the Spirit took up re- residence in my life because of who? It's because of Jesus. And I trust Jesus, and I realize it's a little bit of an experiential statement, but the, the, the foundation point is I know Jesus, and I trust him. And then he turns around and says, these are my words for you. And so then I trust him. So then I go to him and say, what they say? I'm going to listen to it. And then we go to a verse. So the basis is not because the word says it is. There's something that happens before that, a reliability of the word and a trustworthy in the one, trustworthiness in the one who gives us the word, which is Jesus himself. The implication of this is if God is the source of this and he gives it to us in words, they must be true because God is always true and faithful. They must be trustworthy and in whatever sense you want to look at it, they're authoritative because God himself is true and he's trustworthy and he's our king. And we're going to look at that aspect of it next week. Um, Is it without error? Is it trustworthy in all its sense? Um, what do we do with that, and how do we wrestle with the things that come up about that? So just a little bit in summary this morning. Um, as I said, ask questions. We need to be a church body that can speak to anything about this as we together try to figure out what does it mean to look like Christ and wrestle with these things. Um, so we need to do that. So please um, please ask the questions. Send me emails. You can flood my box. I am happy to do it. Um, Second of all, actually, aside from that, is any, who, who here did Awana? Anybody in Awana? Anybody in Awana leader ever? Okay, so Awana, what does it stand for? What do the letters stand for? Excellent. Approved workmen are not ashamed. Approved workmen are not ashamed. Uh, from 2 Timothy 2.15. I was in Awana from whatever, first or second grade through like fifth grade, so I, you know, all my scripture memory comes from Awana. Um, it was a good thing for me. But the verse is, study or be diligent to show yourself proof to God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Um, 2 Timothy 2.15. And first, uh, I just wanted to share before we stop and, and, and worship and do communion, what does it mean to rightly handle the word of truth? What does it mean to rightly handle the word of truth? Um, I believe that the church will become powerless and irrelevant and adrift when it fails to keep the word of God central. Um, even a cursory look at church history will show you that. When we, when we drift from that, it brings all sorts of trouble. So what does it mean to handle the truth rightly? Well, number one, it would mean to read it, um, just to read it. Um, we, I have, can't tell you how many times when I've had a discussion with somebody about something in the scripture of believer, and they haven't even read it. They just have an objection. They haven't even read it yet. It's just simply read it. Let's read it. Um, be in it together. Second of all, a focus on the author above all things. Um, primarily, remember we said last week, the number one thing it's supposed to show is the glory of God and his character. Not all these answers necessary to everything. It's supposed to display the glory and character of God. And if we spend our time reading and discussing it and we don't get that out of it, we haven't handled it rightly. 
So we need to do that. Thirdly, don't misuse it. And I'm not going to go into all the ways we misuse it, but the church is great. I am good at misusing it for things and purposes that it wasn't intended. Um, And we can all look at history and see ways that that's happened. So let's not do that. Let's be careful not to do that. Uh, Fourth, always be a learner. Um, If someone challenges your thoughts about it, take it as an opportunity to learn. Take it as an opportunity to let the Holy Spirit speak to you and work and and shape what you're seeing. Um, We are to always be learners constantly. Um, Next, don't judge the word by our limited insight. We want to come to go to this, and I'm going to judge it by what I think, but rather let this book examine us instead. Um, Next, be like the Bereans, which I think is a great thing. Um, Look deeply for yourself. Um, What you hear here, you should examine. What you read on a blog, you should examine. What you hear on the radio, you should examine. Um, Because the scriptures tell us to examine for yourself. It's absolutely essential that we do so. It is so easy to read a blog that sometimes they're really good. Uh, they actually give no references. They just make statements, and it sounds really good, and it gets a hold of us, and we've all done that. I read it, I'm like, wow, this makes so much sense, and never examine it just to receive it because it really makes sense. Examine it. Examine what you hear here. The Holy Spirit is our only teacher, and so examine it. Look deeply at yourself before embracing what anybody else says. And then lastly, um, I used the word um, don't defend it last night. That was probably the wrong word. Um, don't be defensive about the word. Um, so somebody will say something, Chris, what about this? And immediately inside, I'm like, oh, because I feel like I've got to protect the word. Um, it challenges something about me that I hold deeply, and I become defensive in my heart. I can feel it happen. Um, we don't need to, God's word is, is not in danger um, at all, ever. And um, that does not mean that we should not be ready to give a testimony does not mean that there's not a place for apologetics as we we talk about what we believe and why we believe it but being defensive is a different posture Um, and it usually doesn't lead to good things and so rather just when you hear it going god you're the ones that work you're the one who shares your word and i'm just part of this so let's just walk through this together and let you do as you want to do rather instead of being defensive know the word share it be in dialogue with each other, and ultimately, what are we supposed to do with it? We're going to see at the very end of this series, we're supposed to live it. We're supposed to live it. How many of us have ever heard somebody saying, I don't believe it because Christians just don't live it? I mean, we've heard that in some form or another, right? And guess what? They're correct. And so if we aren't striving, at least, to let it be reflected in our lives, it's, it does say something about this. It's still true, but we're not giving a very good testimony to it. And so, above all things, we're called... Um, to live out his word. Janice, if you could bring the, the worship team up. We're just going to do a few songs this morning and take communion together. As I say, we're going to continue unpacking this next week with a bit more um, variety to what I'm saying. I just want to kind of lay out the, put the cards on the table here in the beginning. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the word, speaking of Jesus, the living word. And the word was with God, And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and everything that was made was made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. 
which if we're not getting life from here, we're not reading it right. We're, something's not right about that. In him, Jesus himself was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 10 says, He was in the world, the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. That's us. Who are born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh. Man, the bread of life for us as we have a table behind us. Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. We get the revelation of God standing among us um, in all of its fullness. And we have seen his glory. And it's the glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, this, this word is designed to get us to that word. That's what it's about. And that's supposed to be our focus, that one who gave himself for us, even though he was rejected by men. Um, he became flesh, and we saw his glory um, here in our midst, and we give praise for that. Let me pray for the bread and cup as we, as we sing. The table here and on the side and the back are open um, to gather around this bread of life um, that gave his life for us. Father, I thank you for... Um, the greatest revelation of yourself, which was Jesus himself being here. I thank you for um, the intersection of that life with ours, which were um, going away that was far from you. And you have transferred us through the power of the cross from darkness to light. Um, You have placed your spirit within us. Thank you for your word that unveils the truth of who you are. Um, But above all things, we give thanks for your son. So, Lord, as we gather as a community around the table and remember your work, um, we give thanks, and we lift up our praise, and we offer ourselves before you. In Jesus' name, amen.